Welcome to the What If Podcast with your hosts, Spencer Worth Davis and Ryan Copperood. And we back, and we back, and we back, and we back. We're recording this on Wednesday, but it's coming out on Friday, so hopefully you're watching Stranger Things and it's the best thing ever. Hopefully, hopefully you watch Stranger Things first before you listen to us. No, it's, it's like a, a fun little preview because we haven't seen it yet either. That's true. And I guess it's going to come out on Friday morning, and I bet like a lot of people are going to have to go to work on Friday, and then as soon as they get done from work, they're going to like lock all their doors and drop all their shades, and they're going to watch. Quit your jobs and watch Netflix and make, Quit your job and for make Netflix. podcasts. <laughs> That's going to be their next brand like tagline, quit your job for Netflix. They're just going to start their own cult. You're not Netflixing hard enough if you have a job. <laughs> what? Yo, speaking of uh, joining cults, did you <laughs> did you listen to that episode of uh, Heaven's Gate yet? I have not heard it yet. Did you uh, did you do any more digging? Well, there's only one episode, but that oh, one, that oh, okay, one episode okay. is phenomenal. Okay, and I, I I think the whole series looks prom or sounds promising. All right, man, I'm on board with it. Um, I got just called Heaven's Gate. I got to get started. I man, the podcast world is busy in my in my ears. That's why we're grateful for all of you for being here with us and putting your ears on our podcast, the What If Podcast. Yo, I uh, I confirmed that interview. By the way, uh oh, we teased this on the last episode. No, we didn't. I cut it out because I wasn't sure if we were gonna oh. actually. I didn't want to like promise a thing and then not do a thing. But now we're actually doing a thing, and I can talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Coming up next week on the podcast, we're going to have Randall Nickerson on, who is the director of Aerial Phenomenon, which we've talked about on the show before, but it's a documentary coming out that covers the aerial UFO event from, I believe it was Zimbabwe in 1994. I think that's right. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think that's right. So there were 50 or so kids at a, at a school that all witnessed a UFO land and an alien get out of it and c- telepathically communicate with them. And Randall is doing a film <laughs> documenting this that also follows up with a lot of the students who were there that day and witnessed this 20-some years later. So we're going to be covering that incident and then also having him on the show talking about the film and talking about his interactions with some of these students and going back. And he actually went out to the school and did a bunch of first, first-hand research about the incident too. So we're going to be talking to him on the show next week. Yeah. There's also in the, uh, in the documentary itself, there's also some footage of the kids from around the time of the incident itself too, right? Did they get some of the original interview footage? I think and, okay. they did. So it's like both. You get to see him get caught up you know, in, in the kind of today world. And then you also get to see them okay. like somewhat immediately post-incident. There was some coverage of it at the time. Uh, John Mack, UFO researcher John Mack, went out there and interviewed all the kids and did his own uh, investigation of what had happened. Yeah. And I think BBC or somebody also did a feature on it. And I think yeah. that's what some of that original footage was from. But yes, yes, agreed. There was probably also more that didn't get released in that original uh, documentary or whatever it was. Yep, for sure. Cool. Well, that'll be exciting. We'll be excited to bring that to you guys. Um, also, if you I, have... Just last thing on that. If oh, you yeah. have questions... I was oh, literally okay. going to say that. No, you're good. Uh, if you have questions for Randall or about that incident that you want us to address or some combination of the two, uh, you can email them to us at hi at whatifpodcast.com or tweet them at us at whatifpod and we'll we'll try and get as many of those as we can to Randall or address them ourselves if if we can. Yeah, especially if many of you have the same question. We'll make sure that we 
phrase that in a way that addresses uh, all the questions. Did, yeah. uh, did we open our DMs on Twitter yet so people can just straight hit us up on Twitter? Yes. Okay. Anyone, anyone can message us. Right, I don't cool. think there's a, if if anyone knows a way to put them all into the same tab. Oh right, because we're getting message requests. Because what it does is it sorts them into two tabs by people you follow and people you don't. Mm. And at least on mobile, I couldn't figure out a way to have it not do that. I okay. just want them to all go into one place, so yeah, I we actually don't see them and get notifications about them. Yeah, we don't want to miss anything from y'all. If I'm um, dumb and there's an easy way to do that, somebody let me know. You can also yell at us on Twitter and tell us that, but don't right. DM us because we'll never see it. Well, there's that too. <laughs> um, if you, yeah, if you just tweet at us, I'll always see it. Yeah, yeah, um, bruh. We got some new sounders courtesy of Rob and his uh, Snapchat story yesterday. Awesome. So just just a quick introduction. If you hear either, it's a reptilian. <laughs> or if you hear, I'm disturbed. I don't know why I decided to do this. <laughs> if you hear either of those throughout the show, those are courtesy of, of Rob. I feel like instead of opening our show with the uh, Waka Flocka, here come that bullshit sounder drop, we need to, we need to just open with Rob saying, it's a reptilian. <laughs> I was going to go with the other one, but. I'm disturbed. I don't know why I decided to do this. Yeah, and that can just be like so our it's a general, great summary of the show. Yeah, yeah our general ethos on uh, the the last year and a half we've spent on this on this show. Uh, no, we know why we do this. It's because of you guys. Oh, that's we, cute. We love you. So yesterday for us slash last episode for you guys, <laughs> we were talking about uh, the Montauk project and all. All the crazy that is Preston Nichols and Al Bielek and Duncan Cameron and Stuart Swordlow and and all about Stranger Things fucking motley crew that is the the Montauk Project. Yep, yep. And And, yeah, and how it all relates to Stranger Things. The more obvious connection to all this conspiracy weird shit in Stranger Things is MK Ultra, in that it's directly referenced, I think, multiple times in the show. Is it? Well, the, they don't say the phrase MK Ultra, do they? Oh yeah, do they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, I do need to rewatch it. The, the Terry Ives character, who yeah. they go to visit at her home, but mm-hmm. she's unresponsive and just staring at the TV, and yep. they talk to her sister for a while. Oh yeah, that's so right. So Terry Ives was an MK Ultra participant, and they they say that specifically. That's right. That's right. She is also heavily implied to be Eleven's mother. And they they imply that Eleven's powers are the result of some sort of MK Ultra experiments with her mom, right? Because her mom slash Terry Ives didn't know she was pregnant when she entered into this. Found out during these experiments that she was, and then they kept her kid, who is Eleven. Which means that we talked about in the last episode about how the theory is that a lot of these kids are missing people or abductees and were right. were eleven to have been born into the program. That would not necessarily fit that uh that uh theory. But Right, which is why a lot of the stuff in Stranger Things is sort of a an amalgamation of lots of different conspiracy theories and stories and a shmishmash. Yes, yes. So MK Ultra in general is kind of a huge topic and one that we've been requested it's been requested that we cover it many times in the past and we've been meaning to (laughs) yeah uh and actually this is one that we were telling you guys about a few weeks ago that we recorded an episode about and that didn't work out but hey here's the perfect time to do it here we are yeah you know in a much more exciting setting because we get to compare it to stranger things yeah and yeah yes so mk ultra was a a program 
run by the CIA that involved more than 150 separate human experiments. Not 100,000, 300,000? Well, not 150 people, 150 oh. separate experiments. Oh, 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 oh. All involving some amount of people larger than one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming. <laughs> There'd be some super bummer experience if they involved portions, equations. <laughs> one of the experiments is just a guy uh, sitting in a room taking acid and then they poke him every once in a while. <laughs> Hey man. Hey man, you good? What do you what are you seeing? It's a reptilian. Uh, Maybe. Probably. Most of them involved psychedelic drugs. A lot of them involved electroshock therapy. Um sometimes the test subjects knew that they were participating in a study, but sometimes they didn't. That that concept came up uh, came up too when I was doing some of the research on the Montauk stuff about people being aware and not being aware. And the Montauk Chronicles actually plays the clip from the Clinton administration where Bill Clinton in a press conference owns up to the fact that uh, ethical and unethical like tests were executed on people in the American population, and we like owned up to it and apologized to it. Which is sort of fucking empty if you think about it because there's no actual, like, reparations that can be, you know, right. given to those people. It's just like, oops, we did a really evil thing. Sorry about that evil thing. And now that it's been long enough and we can't be held accountable for it, we're going <laughs> to let you know quietly. We're going to really solemnly show up at, behind a podium and be like, oh, we did something super unethical. We're really sorry until the next time that we ca- get caught doing something illegal. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the 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 that trope of people not being aware that they're being in you know uh, involved in these types of things is just, still blows my mind. Well, and when we say that, it's not like somebody was you know uh, had electrodes hooked up to them and were answering survey questions and somehow didn't know they were in a study. It was the CIA specifically was dosing just random citizens with hallucinogens sometimes and, out in public places and observing their behaviors and reactions and yeah or intentionally misleading uh a lot of university students were involved in these in these experiments and so they may be brought somewhere under the guise of one type of experiment right and then once they get there they're dosed with lsd without giving their permission or even being told that this is going to happen to them hey can we get you a glass of water right uh sure yeah i guess i'll have a glass of water uh, most of these programs, again, a lot of them were conducted at universities, uh, hospitals, or prisons, which is, I think, what you were referencing with the the Clinton Montauk yeah, Chronicles thing. Yeah. There were basically prisoners were being dosed with hallucinogens without their consent, right? And then just to be observed and see what happens when right. you give varying doses of LSD to people. Jesus. The worst part is it was like it's vulnerable populations too, you know. I mean, I guess. Well, like, right, because anyone else would wouldn't <laughs> would allow say, it. Oh, uh, what? Right, right. Yeah. Most of these experiments took place between 1953 and 1964, but the program uh, wasn't officially ended until 1973. So it technically ran for almost 20, 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. And it's not clear how many people were actually involved in these experiments over that time because a lot of the records were either intentionally not kept in the first place or they were destroyed uh, before or when the program was officially ended in 73. Got it. And so most of the information that we have about it comes from, uh, it's like 200 documents that were released uh, 
through a Freedom of Information Act request uh, sometime in the 90s? Yeah, it was. It was 90... I don't know the date, but well after the end of the program. And so there's a lot of information that didn't survive until when it was released to the public. I'll do a quick Googling while you continue. Okay. The goal of most of these experiments was to try and find some sort of uh, some sort of military application for hallucinogens. So either as a sort of mind control agent or as a sort of truth serum to get information out of prisoners of war. And mind control both in the sort of traditional, I'm going to give you instructions and you're going to carry them out without questioning them way, but also in the like, if you give a bunch of soldiers a bunch of LSD, they're not going to be able to do what they're supposed to do for a few hours <laughs> and you will win whatever battle you're participating <laughs> in because they can't walk in a straight line and pay attention to whatever war is happening. Reloading your gun is really difficult when you think your gun is a giant Cheeto. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So they were trying to figure out, LSD was developed in uh, 1938, and then through the 40s into the 50s, it was starting to be become more widely available. People were figuring out how to uh, make more stable and easier to make versions of it, and we're also trying to figure out what the fuck it was and what it did to people and if it was useful in any way. And of course, if you're doing this in America, the first question to, is it useful is always, can we kill people with it? <laughs> How can the military use it? And, or make money from it. Yeah. Um, it just LSD in general, it's a, a compound. It was made by Albert Hoffman in 1938. He's a Swiss, uh, chemist and it's derived from ergot which is a chemical found, it's a fungus, uh, and it. if you've ever heard of ergot poisoning, I think we've discussed that on the show before. Isn't that the one that um, people got from, like, bread and shit? Yeah, it's a, er, so ergot is a fungus that can uh, attach itself to wheat and other grains. God, that was scientific of me. Like bread and shit? <laughs> God. So dumb sometimes. Yeah, it's a fungus that can grow on grains and has LSD-like effects if ingested. So people throughout history probably were ingesting this, not knowing that it was the fungus that was causing it, and were just tripping balls from their weird bread. <laughs> this bread is so good <laughs> and strange. So the LSD was developed in thirty-eight. The CIA started using it uh, in the 50s, and the sort of the, the precursor to MK Ultra was something called Project Midnight Climax, which is just as gross as the name would imply. That's the sexiest CIA thing. I'm disturbed. I don't know why I decided to do this. <laughs> yes. So in Project Midnight Climax, CIA safe houses were turned into brothels. And in these brothels, prostitutes would bring men back to the brothel and without them knowing, would dose them with LSD or other hallucinogens. They were also testing psilocybin and maybe just those two. Um, and then they would just kind of watch what would happen based on how much they gave them and how long they had been there. 
That would be the weirdest, wildest fun house that's like ever existed. Yeah, it got really out of control from the sounds of it. The the, the guy it, it who sounds ran like it, it would start out of control and only get worse. Yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, George White was the the guy who ran it, and there, this all happened in an apartment in San Francisco. So he, they, the CIA rented out this apartment. They installed some. Is it two way? Two way mirrors. mirrors? One-way one mirror? I never know. And I always feel really stupid and mean to look it up, and then by the next well, time I need be, to know it, I, I have forgotten. Wouldn't it be one-way because you can only see one way through it? But that's how a regular mirror works. No, but <laughs> but you can see through it from the other side, as in you, only one way is reflecting. Maybe. Whatever. You guys know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> this is the dumbest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> Great. The Wikipedia article literally starts a one-way mirror, also called a two-way mirror. Well, fuck Wikipedia. So we wait. So we can't be wrong. It, uh, no. Or, or we're, we're wrong either way. Uh, both actually. Okay. You you are right and wrong both times. Okay. Anyway. Take your pick, bud. A mirror that you could see through from the other side. <laughs> George White would just sit on the other side of this wall and watch these interactions. And he'd just sit there smoking and drinking, and uh, he installed a toilet in the room so that he didn't have to, like, get up and leave ever. Whoa. Yep. He was he was just kind of living in there, what do, it, doing what? a bunch of his own drugs and <laughs> watching people fuck on LSD. What were the chances this dude worked for the CIA and was just a really old pervert and was like, I wonder what my budget could be if I could be like, At hey. least 100%. <laughs> the hey. lowest they could have been is 100%. What's this guy's name? George White. Hey, uh, yeah, George here. Listen, I'm going to need a big delivery of LSD <laughs> prostitutes, and I'm going to need my own private room with a bathroom, <laughs> cigarettes, and liquor in it. No, no, no. It's an experiment. And uh, it, it's a, it's a long-range study, so... <laughs> If we could budget out like the next two decades at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, this, we is gonna be my, this is going to be my life's work. My greatest moment. Uh, they also, as, as we talked about yesterday in Montauk, and as we'll talk about some more with MKUltra, they intentionally targeted men who were sort of disadvantaged. So that, A, if anything really bad happened, no one would notice. And B, they wouldn't be in a position to go to the authorities or make a big stink about how illegal what was happening was. Um, and hey, um, so I was on drugs trying to have sex with this prostitute and somebody did something weird. <laughs> somebody gave me some drugs I didn't want. <laughs> uh, Can you help me? No, no, we can't. But the CIA did it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I think the idea with prostitution also being that, like, yeah, you're not going to go to the authorities and start the story with, so I picked up this prostitute. Right, exactly. Because you're just going to go to jail, and right. they're not going to believe you that the CIA gave you some drug that you don't even know exists. Right. It's it's the, that, like That's the other thing. Like, LSD was not well known at this point. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it had barely been invented for, what, 15 years or 20 years? It was invented in 38. I don't think, I mean, you couldn't really get it on the street until the 60s. Yeah, I would imagine, especially at a time where you can't just, like, Upload a YouTube video about how to make LSD and have it be populated around the world. So you know the uh, that book, the was it the Anarchist Cookbook? Yep. I heard a, a rumor, I don't or read or I don't remember where I came across it. That so there's a recipe for LSD in that book. Apparently. Oh, I didn't know that actually. But I've heard that it's a bogus recipe that will actually fuck you up in some possibly permanent ways. What? Yeah. 
Yikes. I don't know. I, I have no idea if that's accurate or not. That sounds I've, I've exceedingly never even, dangerous. Never even seen. I mean, making your own LSD in general is probably not a great idea. Well, I don't, I don't yeah. know what that process entails. There's a Netflix and if you documentary. Do, please don't describe it right now on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're just gonna have like a three minute long. Boo. We're gonna pretend that we have no idea how drugs work or how to grow or make them. What is drugs? Um, <laughs> there's a there's a documentary on Netflix about the Anarchist Cookbook that I've always been meaning to watch. It's with the guy who actually wrote it and about how he feels about it many years later. But I have never actually. That was like a, a mythical book in my adolescent years. As in, like that it existed or. That, like, if you could ever get a, a copy of it, it would be, like, the fucking 15-year-old Holy Grail. Yeah, and now I can literally pull up a PDF online with, like, three keystrokes. I'm sure, yeah. You can have drugs, and we could <laughs> blow stuff up, <laughs> and no parents. I'd be all-powerful. I'll yeah. take out so many mailboxes. <laughs> right. Nobody will have mailboxes, and they'll all have LSD instead. <laughs> it's my dream world when I was 15. So... Uh, in addition to all the crazy stuff that we just described George White was doing, he also paid the the prostitutes with CIA slash taxpayer money because in order for them to agree to this nonsense, they still needed to be getting paid at least what they would have been otherwise. So he was also just paying, daily paying many, many prostitutes uh, to give people drugs that I guess the drugs themselves weren't illegal yet. So maybe that's a little better. Yeah, I mean... LSD wasn't illegal until like 68 or 69 or something. I would imagine it was sort of a gray area at the time. Yeah, I guess. I mean, there wasn't legislation around a lot of this stuff because people didn't know it existed. Yeah. Um, and for the most part, it none of this stuff came to light, at least at the time, except for when Wayne Ritchie, who was a at the time a deputy U.S. marshal, unknowingly drank... Uh, a beer that had been spiked with LSD at a Christmas party at which George White was present. Oh, so he's at this dip. at this party. He drinks his beer. It's like his first or second beer. And a few minutes later, he starts seeing stuff. He starts feeling real weird. He starts sweating. And uh, he, he, as go you do. he goes upstairs to the bathroom. Or as I've heard you do. <laughs> He goes upstairs to the bathroom and he's trying to figure out what the hell's going on. If he's if he's sick, if he's like he he, does, he has no 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 frame of reference for this because he nor anyone he knows has ever taken acid before or known maybe even what acid was to right. No, I mean this was in the fifties. He had no idea that it even existed or that this was even a possibility. Probably yeah yeah. And he decides that he's gonna he's gonna solve this problem by just having a few more drinks. So he proceeds to, on top of being in the middle of a who-knows-how-much-acid trip, uh, to just get blackout drunk. Sometimes the only way out is in. You know? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> That's actually usually what I say when I'm hungover. Why are you keeping this curiosity door locked? <sighs> you just gotta, you gotta push it open, man. You just kick that shit down. Had a baby, go, Dustin. Go all the way. Ninth, ninth work, Dustin. Dude, if you talk with a lisp for, for this whole episode, I'm going home. Only, Even though I'm already at my home, only when I'm going to your home. Only <laughs> we're trading, claiming it. Yeah. Only when Dustin talks. <laughs> no, God damn it! I'm not playing that sounder again the rest of the show. Then. Uh, so Wayne is now super hammered and tripping his balls off, and he decides, all right, I'm just gonna go home. And I'm going to go to bed, and whatever the fuck is going on will probably stop going on. Sleep it off. And he gets home, 
And his girlfriend is like, Wayne, where the fuck have you been? It's three in the morning. And he's like, honey, that the more important question is why the fuck are there three of you and <laughs> aliens coming out of all three of your heads? It's a reptilian. <laughs> Wayne can barely form sentences at this point, And he somehow gets in an argument with his girlfriend about how she should move back to New York. And <laughs> Wayne decides, he's like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to bed. Can't go to bed because he's wired. Yeah, in in a real mess, real mess of a state. <laughs> and decides instead that he's going to go back to the bar he was at, bring his gun, rob the bar to get enough money to buy his girlfriend a flight to New York because she's going to be better off without him because he's this permanently fucked up weirdo now. Logical train of thought. Yep. So he goes to the bar. First, he orders himself two more shots. <laughs> you know, and they serve him for some reason, which is the, the maybe the worst part of this whole story. He, he probably he probably poured it in his fucking hair. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in his pocket. This will work better. <laughs> Boofed a couple shots of whiskey real quick. <laughs> and uh, pulls out a gun and decides to to rob the bartender. And... While he's doing this, the bartender stalls for just long enough for a patron to come up behind him with a folding chair and crack him over the head. Knock his ass out. Yeah, he got WWE'd. <laughs> and we missed tables, ladders, and chairs, by the way. I know, dude. I'm disappointed. I know. We, uh, we live in Minneapolis, for those who don't know, and Spencer and I have a habit of going to WWE. If pro <laughs> wrestling ever comes to your town, you have to go see it. I know it sounds dumb. It's the most entertaining thing you will ever see live. And, and by entertaining, we mean like all of it. The whole experience, yes. the yes. fans. It is the best 30 thing. or 40 or whatever dollars you could possibly spend on, on <laughs> entertainment. On live entertainment, yeah. yeah. Uh, so they they knock him out. He goes to work the next day and they're like, Wayne, what the fuck? You robbed a bar at gunpoint. <laughs> I don't think you can be a U.S. Marshal anymore. And also, we you should, have a big lump on the back of your head. And you should probably go to jail, actually. <laughs> and they, they come to the agreement that Wayne will... Uh, he will stop being a U.S. Marshal if they don't throw him in jail. So he retires, goes on to do something else for many years. Becomes a mall cop. Later, when all this stuff comes out about George White and uh, Operation or Project Midnight Climax and where this was all happening and how it was happening, Wayne was like, oh, that was that was me. Yeah, yeah. I was at that bar. I knew that guy. Yeah, he yeah. was there that night. That sounds a lot like what I experienced. I got fucked over. I lost my job because of this CIA program. How, I mean, how quickly are you literally driven insane by the question, what the fuck happened yesterday? Right. You know, like, I mean, because, because again, like if you have no actual frame of reference, you've never taken LSD. You don't know anyone who has taken LSD. No Hallucinations one were a thing thing though drug induced hallucinations were probably known even before specifically lsd or psilocybin were known there are other drugs that will make you hallucinate sure but we're also we're also speculating on the volume that he took and i mean he could have taken who knows how how badly he was dosed he could have he could have had like a right right as an insane dosage of lsd and like even if you are familiar with the concept of hallucination, if you had no intention to hallucinate, oh, that's that's by far would, the worst part about this stuff is it, that that your mental state would be a total disaster. Yeah, it would drive you insane with being like, 
how did that happen and why did it happen? And, and is it going to happen again? Yeah, am, and am I going to be drinking my morning coffee and all of a sudden the paper morphs into a bird that starts trying to peck my eyes out and right. I have to like, you know. Right. Yeah, it's, it's also a guarantee to have a bad time on that trip. <laughs> Oh, right. Not ready for it. And it's not going to be a pleasant eye opening experience. Uncontrolled most likely. dosage. And yeah. And then, you know, also putting 15 drinks in your head or your butt Ugh. or whatever he did. <laughs> yeah, wherever they, wherever they ended up. Wayne did not boof whiskey. That was, uh, that was purely an editorial addition on, <laughs> on my part. <laughs> we, we recommended that. Um, so it, in the end, Midnight Climax didn't really work out because George White was kind of a psychopath who didn't really have any methods or uh, to his madness and just wanted to see a bunch of people do drugs and have sex with each other. All right. And get paid to do it, which, I mean, he... Good work if you can get it! <laughs> In that sense, he he was a, a wildly successful man, but the project didn't really produce any results. <laughs> so after Project Midnight Climax climaxed... <laughs> MK Ultra was born. Gross. <laughs> Ew. There were there were probably several in that nasty ass hotel room in San Francisco. Or there were none because as soon as it was like it was like I'm gonna go change into something more comfortable. Oops, there's an LSD syringe in your neck. <laughs> yeah, George probably had a few. Well, he's got a weird little room to himself. Oh, <laughs> gross. George, there's no, no way it was clean in you there. Dirt bag. <laughs> MK Ultra was born. And it it moved on to a lot more experiments at universities, uh, a lot more experiments with young people. And to me, that's where most of the parallels with Stranger Things come into play, of the taking young college-aged people under the pretense of you're participating in some sort of psychological study or some sort of medical study, and... Oops, you have drugs. And also, maybe we're going to see if you have superpowers or can <laughs> control people's minds or if we can control your mind or... Yeah, we, we may or may not be also permanently rewiring your brain. Right. And this is where... And I couldn't find any, like, great documentation of any of the Manchurian candidate super soldier type stuff. Right. There, I mean, you can find plenty of information out there. <laughs> I... <laughs> The, the super soldier thing especially is so incredibly out there. And I, have you ever gone in down that rabbit hole? I mean, a little bit. I guess, is that just a work of pure fiction? Like, did it come from some sort of book or story or something like that? Well, and it just li has lived since? I think it comes out of a lot of the MKUltra-esque stuff of, you know, there, there are these stories that get start with, okay, people were dosed with LSD or psilocybin or something else, and then maybe given instructions, which then gets extrapolated to, well, they were giving giving them instructions about how to assassinate uh, the president of some foreign country, mm. and they were given this code word that was going to activate when their mission was supposed to start, and it was this, you know, the whole Manchurian candidate yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which then in more modern day America translates into this whole concept of the super soldier and like the Jason Bourne Manchurian candidate. Yes. Where not only are you, you know, reprogrammed and you have this new adopted personality, but you can also kick 1,000 times a second, which is a real thing that somebody said about themselves. Awesome. 
and you can scale buildings and you have legit superpowers and it's like Winter Soldier from Avengers. Sure, I don't know that reference. Winter Soldier is a comic book uh, guy who is related to Captain America. And in the Avengers series, both in the movies and in the comic books, Winter Soldier is basically like a Russian super soldier who has code words that can be said to him and can turn him into like a fucking super duper beast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Basically that. Yeah. Except some people go around saying that that is, that is them. And that... Where that YouTube video at though? <laughs> Dude, you... <laughs> Go to YouTube. Actually, I mean, no, I mean, I mean, more like I want the YouTube video of you kicking a thousand times a second. Well, if that's it's too fast. You, you can can't do. see it. <laughs> can't see yeah, it. I just did it. Frame rate's only I just twenty did it again. Yeah, frame rate. Did it again. Frame rate's only twenty four. <laughs> you can't possibly capture it. Oh Christ! Um, but yeah, go go on YouTube and type in "Super Soldier." Sometime you'll have a real real weird time. Oof. Uh, the, one of the side effects, though, of, of bringing LSD to college campuses was that you introduced LSD to college kids. And so if your goal was to sort of have this uh, mind control element or the have figure out a way to control society at large, right? in a lot of ways it had the opposite effect. Sure. Because now you have kids on college campuses learning about, you're teaching them about psychedelics. Right. Before well, psychedelics were even regulated. Right. It, to me, it seems like in their mind too there are two parts of the equation, right? It's like take LSD, get, get your reprogramming while high on LSD. But in many a case, people just got high on LSD and there was no reprogramming or the reprogramming was of their own construction. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the, the programming or reprogramming in quotes came to the story much later. Sure. And is almost always a fabrication. Yeah. 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 Um, one actual example of somebody who actually participated in MK Ultra, though, is Ken Kessie, the author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, yeah. In 1962, he volunteered for an experiment that he did not know was MK Ultra and LSD related. Uh-oh. While he was a student at Stanford, they did a lot of stuff at Stanford and at Harvard, which is kind of interesting that you'd pick two extremely high-profile American universities. Was it being done covertly or like approved and like sanctioned by the universities? Stanford especially has a lot of tie-ins with covert government shit over the years and yeah. like the Stanford Research Institute and a lot of stuff that... We've talked about the prison experiment on here before. Yeah, I, I think they just sort of had a lot of free reign in the 60s and 70s in terms of the research that their professors and their faculty were doing. California, man. California well, in the 60s. And yeah, like in 62, LSD was totally legal. It was a chemical compound that was not regulated in any way. So Go nuts. I mean, it would be like going to test, uh, you know, you volunteer for a trial of a human trial of a new drug. Right. You know, right. Which now is super regulated, but back then probably was not. Yeah, yeah. Um, Cassie later went on to be a, an advocate for LSD and through... <laughs> Parties on campus that he called, quote, acid tests, where basically he would bring in, he would book a few bands, he'd put up some strobe lights, a few black lights, and give everyone LSD. Good for him. And kind of started a lot of the uh, the West Coast, the California psychedelic scene. What was the, was he involved in, what was the, um, there was like a bus that drove around and a bunch of people from California 
basically bought a bus and just took acid and drove around the country and gave acid to people off the bus and shit. Damn, this was in Are a you documentary. Just describing I the Grateful watched. Dead or I mean also yes, <laughs> question mark. Was it the Grateful Dead tour bus? Yeah, maybe. Um I, I don't know specifically what you're referencing. All right. I'm I retract my previous statement. I'm not saying you're wrong. I no, just can't no. confirm that. I can't remember what they're called. They had a special name and they were like their idea was they were sort of crusaders for LSD and their whole thing was like we're going to bring a bunch of bus uh, or bring a bunch of LSD on a bus and we're going to show the world the benefits of it by traveling around and dosing up a bunch of people. I'm sure that was happening. I mean, that's basically what yeah. Kessie was doing, but just on campus. Locally, and right. I, I bet that spread outside of Stanford at sure, some point. Sure. Because you know, that was 62. And by the late 60s, LSD was fucking everywhere. Right. I, it got me thinking about the, the timing of Stranger Things because it's set in 80, I think it's 83. Yeah. First season is 83. Mm hmm. And those kids are in seventh grade, eighth grade, right? So they're probably like 13, 14. Yeah, 13, 14, 15, yeah. So they were all probably born around 1970, 60, yep. 69, 70. Yep. So, I mean, that would sort of make sense with like uh, Elle's mom. Sure. Yeah, you're right. Terry Ives being... That timing being uh, a late, possibility. Late 60s, maybe mm -hmm. 1970. Sure. Coming out of... MK Ultra or you said seventy three was when it was finally shut down? No. Uh yeah, it was fifty three to seventy three. Fifty three to seventy three, yeah. Okay. But then I'm sure, you know, all this stuff when it's shut down just gets renamed a lot of the time or yeah. or it tapers into a smaller thing or right, or just know. gets moved and you know, it's literally yeah. the same program just right. in a different location because somebody figured it out. Right. I, I some of that little stuff just fascinates me in the show of like how accurate some of those like there, there's no way that these stories of mk ultra and montauk and stuff and i know we talked about this in the last episode but like yeah there is a zero percent chance that they were not influenced by this stuff and like obviously oh, mk yeah. ultra is an obvious one because it's referenced directly but right. like when we were talking about uh the stargate project right on the last episode and right. the whole re remote viewing thing and i, I forgot to to mention we didn't talk about the the sensory deprivation tank thing oh, last yeah. time. Oh, yeah. No, we didn't. Because, and uh, obviously they probably couldn't show a 13-year-old child taking LSD and getting in a sensory deprivation tank. Yeah. But those two things were combined often. And the whole idea with the sensory deprivation tank um relates to, the, the idea was to deprive all of your, you know, your sight your ability to hear your sense of touch even your spatial awareness so that you can focus fully on these like out-of-body experiences sure. basically and it's like shut off all your input so your only input is like what's in your brain basically. Yeah. yeah and so when 11 is doing it either in the the kiddie pool in the gym yep or when she's in the the tank at the uh, department of energy building She's doing it to be able to focus on her remote viewing yep. slash maybe astral projection because yeah. she's able to, to a certain extent, to physically interact with the things in that location. That's true because she, she navigates the that space and finds Mike, doesn't she? She finds Mike? You mean Will? Or Will, I mean, sorry. She finds him, but it's in, so the way they portray it is it's this big 
black eternity. Yeah, it's like a weird purgatory kind of and thing. And then the thing that she's looking for just kind of pops up on this black background. Yeah. But the the one that got me thinking that it's, or the two situations that got me to thinking maybe it's closer to astral projection, when she's doing it the first time and she's walking around the Russian guy that's speaking and she's supposed to be relaying what he's saying back oh, to Dr. Brenner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's very careful to not ever make contact, physical contact with him. Hmm. She keeps, she gets very close, but keeps like a few inches in between them. Right. And then a couple, I think it's like two episodes later when they show her encountering the Demogorgon thing in that, whatever world. that world is. Yeah. Um, it's like hunched over eating something with its back turned to her. Yeah. And she just kind of taps it on the back with her pointer finger and then starts screaming. And that's when it gets released. Right. So it, it's implied that her making that physical contact in that world is what opened up that portal and released the Demogorgon thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a step beyond remote viewing where she's just able to observe these situations in real time. And she's actually physically interacting with him. Yeah, that is that is odd. That's super odd. Uh, not odd, but it's like, I guess in some ways, the the thing that we've been saying about them kind of pulling from all of these different sources and shmishmashing them together is you can kind of go, well, it is remote viewing, but it's also astral projection, but also maybe when this happens, this happens, and they just get to be Hollywood about it and layer all three things into one. Right. So it's, I guess, not odd is maybe not the right word, but it, it, it's certainly like that experience is, is informed by all three of those concepts for sure. And then the whole MK Ultra tie in, like, obviously, you're not going to show a child being dosed with hallucinogens. I mean, even some of the, to be honest, some of the scenes with her are already like pretty intense. I mean, yeah. when she's like struggling to be freed and they're throwing her into her little, you know, closet they keep her in. Snaps the and, dude's neck with her, with her mind. Yeah. There's, there's some like very kind of intense and dark things but already. I, I read her, the situation with her mom, Terry Ives as like, she's brain dead from probably drugs. Right. Right? From being, yeah, from overdosing on, yeah, of course. Or from electroshock therapy and LSD yeah. combinations or, yeah. But, I mean, I yeah, I think that's probably supposed to read as drugs. Because they, yeah. they specifically, when the when Hopper and whatever the deputy guy's name are, are sitting in the library when they first start pulling up all these MKUltra articles. Yep. And... Hopper's talking about how they, he says that they were giving people LSD and the other dude is like, oh, it's just some hippie stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like they, they go directly from that to meeting with her and having her be totally unresponsive Zapped. and brain dead, basically. Um, so I, yeah, I guess to me that reads as like, this is, we're referencing a very specific thing, right. but for the sake of this being a child, we're just going to separate those two. Sure. That makes sense. Um, one other actual, well, not directly MK Ultra, uh, participant, but somebody who was affected by kind of that whole culture and then had a huge effect on other people. It's actually Ted Kaczynski, aka the, the Unabomber. Unabomber. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with the Unabomber. Did he go to Stanford? Harvard. Harvard. Yeah. 
the other Ivy League school fucking with its students. <laughs> Stanford's not I, not Ivy League. Yeah, I, I should I should have said upper whatever. echelon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Kaczynski, if you don't know, between 1978 and 1995, killed three people and injured 23 others in a nationwide bombing campaign. Uh, in <laughs> bombing campaign is not, <laughs> uh, I what do you call it? I mean, I don't know, but a bombing campaign just sounds very like, I don't know. It wasn't a good campaign. <laughs> I'm just saying, what's, is there a better word? No, I, no, it just struck my ear funny. Spree? A spree. It wasn't a spree though. He did over almost 20 years. Um, it's the world's slowest spree. It's a long beat, spree. It's like one bomb a year. That's not a spree. Was it really 20 years? Uh, 78 to 95, so 18 years. Whoa. It's I don't like think 17, I ever realized years. that. I don't know the months, but... Yeah, he killed three people and injured 23, and the, the whole thing was he was targeting... He thought technology was going too far and getting out of hand and was going to ruin our society at large. Oh, boy, if and, you were here to see this. And uh, he was... He's, he's still alive, isn't he? Is he in... In the jails, yeah, but he's still alive. I don't know. I'm pretty sure we didn't we didn't give him the uh, the almighty if, death penalty. If, I don't think so. I don't know. You could, you could look that up if you want. He um, so yeah, he thought technology was already out of hand and was going to exponentially get more and more out of hand and ruin society. And so he was targeting people who he thought were responsible for advancing technology to this point. Mm. He, when he was younger, he, oh yeah, he was sentenced to eight life sentences without parole in 98. So I think he's still alive and in prison forever. He is in a prison in Chicago. Okay. And is currently 75 years old. Okay. Uh, when he was a kid, he was super, well, he probably was still super smart later, I guess, but he got accepted to Harvard when he was 16 and had an IQ of 167 as a, as a teenager. And when he was at Harvard as a teenager, was recruited for a psychological experiment run by Henry Murray, who was a psychologist. Um, it was a long-term three-year psych study that he participated in. And in this study, along with 20 other students, the, they were told to develop their personal philosophies on life. So whatever they thought was most important, whatever was like the, the meaning of life, basically, how we were supposed to interact with each other, what what we were here for, what our bigger purpose was. I love the idea of asking undergraduate college students what that is. Right? It's pretty... So, uh, the meaning of life, bro? Uh, <laughs> well... Beer, bongs, <laughs> and uh, fucking girls, dude. Uh, it's a three-year study, though, so it would be kind of interesting to see how that changes from 19 yeah. to 21 or 22 or whatever. Health insurance. Yeah. <laughs> now it's health insurance. I'd like to retract my previous answers. So they actually had to defend this, though. So they had to come up with their, and it was personal to them, their personal sure. philosophy. But then they had to show up and debate it with another student. So I I would have to come to the table and say, I think. Family. My, my philosophy is that the most important thing in life is to, you know, provide happiness for other people. Okay, whatever. sure. And you would have to say, like, no, you're wrong. It's self-preservation and blah, 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 blah. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so this is how, when they signed up for this study, this was how it was pitched to them and that it would be this long-term study that would evolve over three years with this same group of, like, 20, 20 people. But when they showed up to debate, 
they were attached to electrodes, like a little little helmet full of electrodes. <laughs> Strap in. They had to sit in a chair facing a, here it says one-way mirror, but whatever your preferred nomenclature Which is. is a two-way mirror. <laughs> and they had a, like a, a theater spotlight shown directly at them. That's aggressive. And they weren't debating another student. They were debating a law professor who had been, <laughs> right? Jesus. Who had been told, basically, your job is to just, no matter what they say, find a way to tear it down. Just, like, prove them wrong in whatever <laughs> way you can. So if if they say, you know, the their personal philosophy is that the family is most important, rip their family to shreds. <laughs> You know, just ruthlessly, like, attack whatever they present to you. Your mom is ugly! <laughs> how are you, how you going to try to convince me that a law professor is a student in class and be like, uh, how come how come my my debate partner is wearing a tweed jacket and has a gray beard? No, I, I don't think they, they were under uh, the impression that this was a peer because they knew the 20 people in their group. Okay. Part of the experiment was you prepared for one thing. And you're getting something you, you're totally getting different. Uh, yeah. Okay, got it. And how do you react under these conditions? <laughs> Probably poorly. To make it worse, after they did this, this was being filmed. After they were done, they had to watch it and critique their performance in the debate. <laughs> God. Yeah. Uh, Holy self-esteem crusher, Batman. Right? And these are these are young, like Kaczynski was 16 when he started doing this, which doesn't seem legal. But no, <laughs> super not at all. Fuck the law, apparently in the 60s. <laughs> and uh, Murray, the director of this study, called the debates with the the law professor vehement, sweeping, and personally abusive attacks. Jesus Christ. Right? And they what a set of adjectives. So on top of this, I mean that sounds brutal, obviously. Yeah. And it's a bunch of young, impressionable, but smart kids doing this. You're at Harvard. Right. You know, it's it's right. you're not an idiot getting into Harvard at 16 years old, obviously. For real, for real. And your worldview at 16 is probably pretty narrow. Yep. Um and you're being ripped to shreds by this professor, or this fucking Harvard law professor. God. Telling you you're a piece of shit and you're wrong and your mama's so fat <laughs> and all of this. And then you also know. Looking ass boy. <laughs> you also know that it's a three year long program. So you go in the first time, you're like, man, that sucked. I well, go, I got to go back. <laughs> I only got to go back about 600 more times. <laughs> only got to do that every week for the next three years. You stupid ass head ass boy. <laughs> My family's so important looking ass boy. Tweet jacket looking ass. <laughs> so this this didn't really have the best effect on a lot of the kids involved in it, but it also because including of including turning one of them into a fucking serial killer. Right. So I I think it's it's especially bad because it was paired with build your own personal philosophy. Right. Whatever is most important and crucial to you, whatever you believe in most and could defend your core. Yeah, whatever is at your core, we're going to test it to its fucking limits. Fuck that shit. And we're <laughs> going to destroy, core. right, we're <laughs> going to destroy any self-confidence, any self-esteem. You as a person is yeah. going to be destroyed during this process. Well, and I think the thing too, and this goes back to the trouble we've continued talking about with the vulnerable, pe vulnerable people thing, but like 
the thing with college students at that age, I mean, I remember when I was going from high school into college, like that's a that's a huge transition time for a lot of kids. You're going from Hell yeah. Sixteen you're a sophomore in high school. Yeah. I didn't know dick. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and and you're like you're changing physical places, you're around different people, you don't have parental influences near you. If you drop me off at Harvard today, to tons I'd be of nervous. I, oh my God, dude. <laughs> I'd be looking at all these kids who would look like children to me and they would just run me under a table with their brains. Uh, but yeah, just just that idea of you're already in a situation where your core is being challenged because you're in a new place, you're being exposed to new ideas, um you're you're more you're you're learning how to be self-sustaining for the first time in your life. You're already kind of an at-risk individual by being in a huge sort of transition phase in your life. And then to ask those people who are in such a transition phase to be like, hey, um, what's like the last thread of thing that's kind of keeping you standing in this transition phase? Oh, okay, fuck that shit. And we're right. going to wreck but, that but shit But also for here's why years. in a very concise, well-thought-out yeah. manner. Yeah, that's yeah. brutal, man. Yeah. No wonder he went nuts. And so this is... Uh, I'm pulling some of this information from uh, an Atlantic article by uh, Alston Chase called Harvard and the Making of the Unabomber. Oof. The tie-in with some of the MK Ultra stuff is that Henry Murray, who ran this study at Harvard, ended up doing some more LSD, psilocybin, hallucinogen-related similar studies later in his career. Good. Um, but so what uh, the Atlantic article proposes is that Breaking Kaczynski down in this way, in this brutal way, while simultaneously having him develop his core personal philosophy, for him at least, maybe had the outcome of maintaining that core personal philosophy Yeah, in spite of everything else. Sure, sure, sure. So getting it so refined to where that is literally all that matters and that seeing that through for him, which was technology is ruining our society and it needs to be stopped at any cost yeah led to that at any cost part being it doesn't matter if a couple people die because we're all going to die eventually if i don't do if I this don't, right and blowing up some buildings might actually be good because this technology that's being developed in these buildings is bad and stopping it now is better than letting it continue yikes yeah, and I, I I wanted to bring this up, and I know this is sort of insane, but <laughs> bear with me. The One of the things that kept sticking out to me in Stranger Things, and I brought it up with my wife when I was rewatching it over the weekend, Eleven kills everybody. Yeah, we talked about this last week, too, I think. Did, okay, did we? We, yeah, we, talked, okay, about, we okay. talked about what her death count must have oh, been by right, the end right, of that right. show. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. She's going around ruthlessly murdering people. Right. And considers killing her own father at the end of the first season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But instead lets the monster thing just eat him, yeah. which she created anyway. So fuck it, she basically <laughs> killed her own dad. And it got me thinking about like, she had been broken down in kind of a similar way. Yeah, yeah. In, in this way that is always hypothesized in these MK Ultra Montauk mind control mentoring candidate type experiments. Right, right. And that we've actually now 30, 40 years down the road gotten some information about like this was really happening. Yeah, for sure. And in Kaczynski's case of like not even being not even having that 
drug mind control element introduced, just having the like, we're going to kind of try and intentionally break you and your personality, that that can have really, really horrible consequences, not only for that person, but for anyone that comes into contact with that person afterwards. No doubt. I mean, what's the, um, I don't know if it's just a, if it's just a proverb or if somebody said it for the first time, but, uh, the, the most dangerous man is one with nothing to lose line. I don't know if that's okay. from sure. Know, I'm, I'm sure there have been many variations whatever. on it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But that idea that like by in all these studies, by sort of trying to like cut people down into their most basic forms and like, you know, uh, refining the things they care about and stripping away other stuff, they, they become kind of people who don't care or are not don't care isn't the right word, but, um, who are, don't have the ability to anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, and are, and are sort of cornered by their ideas. And I always wonder what, like, we've talked about a few similar experiments in, in the past on the show, but like, what, what is the purpose of a study like that? I, like you know, what information are you are you even gathering from doing that to people? I know I you know the thing that's so weird is like I mean I think a lot about like Abu Ghraib and the whole concept of yeah. you know the all the torture stuff that happened there both the sanctioned and unsanctioned uh or quote unquote unsanctioned right. uh torture things that happened at Abu Ghraib and you know again like that's just the stuff we know about I mean we know about CIA black sites and like those are those are things we we don't know what happens but obviously those are things and I part of me does wonder you know are you you gotta you gotta test it close to home before you go put it out in the field and I don't know I mean yeah is is in, that the, in this case specifically though with like the the Harvard Ted Kaczynski thing we're talking about there was what was being tested. Right. You know what I mean? Like what is the, the constant in any of that even? Sure. All you have is variables. (laughs) Right. Like is the, yeah, right. Is the, is the idea. Oh yeah. So we were going to bring these kids back in 20 years later and check on their self-esteem and their life progress. And Oh, it turns out all of them are fucked up. And like, even that though, there's so many other variables that would come into play that you couldn't make any sort of actual conclusions based on that. For sure. But yeah, basically L is the Unabomber is all I was trying to say. <laughs> I, I think it would be amazing if they just quick season two speculation because she's she's in season two, even though she vanished at the end of the first season. She's been in, I oh, think she all. She was eating her egos, yo. Huh? It was eating her egos. They don't show that in season one, though. But they, they were putting them out there for her. And well, then- right. But then when they went back, weren't there no egos in there? So they kept no, the, the The show just ends with Hopper putting some food in, in that box out in the woods. Okay. Anyway, she's in all three. She's been confirmed to be in season two. And she's yeah. in all the trailers yeah. and stuff. I think it would be amazing to flip her into like the villain at some point. Oh, yeah. Because you totally could. For sure. The only reason any of this shit is happening is because of her. Yeah. And she's, she's just going around like and- murdering people willy- all willy-nilly. Yeah. And- Lucas is calling her a traitor with his sweet camouflage headband on. <laughs> she knocked his ass out at one point. I yeah. think it would be awesome to flip her into the villain at some point in season two. And if not season two, season three. Is that can is that been picked up? They confirmed. Damn. We gonna get one mile. At okay. least one mile. I mean, you have to, right? 
even if it's horrible, you have to do yeah, it. They're yeah. making just bonkers money off that shit. I can't imagine how many or how much buzz and noise and dude, especially imagine what Twitter is going to be like all weekend long. Twitter is going to be like literally yeah, just don't bother. Don't go on the internet for the next, you know, I guess. Yeah. You're listening to this on Friday morning. Yeah. So don't go on the internet for the next like four days. This, this is Twitter Saturday morning. Oh, hi. Thanks for checking in. I'm still a piece of garbage. Twitter's so trash these days, dude. Except for Rob Christopherson, who made it so I mean, it, so it, has, it has these little moments of brilliance, and the fact yeah. that we only fuck with, like, 100 people on Twitter <laughs> makes it kind of fun. But if you have more than, like, 100 followers, it just turns into just a clown show. It's a nightmare. Yeah. It's a nightmare. Um, speaking of Netflix, they just invested, what was it, $8 billion? It was some just, like, obscene amount of money into content. Yeah. Not even like I need to know the actual number because I could be giving you a super wrong, super wrong figure. Uh, but I, I'm pretty sure it was in the billions. Yeah. Okay. Holy shit. New York Times from last week. Netflix says it will spend up to $8 billion on content next year. Oh my God. In a what year? The f- Fuck. They're, dude, they're gonna buy. That's not. That's not all gonna be original content, though. They're just gonna. It doesn't buy. matter where yeah, that's yeah, coming yeah. from. Like you're spending. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, if you're spending billions on content development, dude. Speaking of or t- acquisition, I guess yeah. maybe that's like they're just gonna fucking buy Marvel or something. Yeah, but like or or buy like the rights to Seinfeld or something for a year. But. Jesus, My, how much money are you making if that's what you're throwing out every year? I mean. Like hundreds of millions of people are giving them ten dollars every month. So, yikes! The my favorite, uh, my favorite hot take on the internet from this weekend related to that, or this past weekend related to that story was somebody just quoted the the Times article tweet that said Netflix plans to spend eight billion dollars in the next year, and someone just said, "Can they spend eight billion dollars on one movie, please?" <laughs> yes. And I was like, you know. That as a marketing strategy might work. Like just call ma- it the eight billion dollar movie. Just and make it's a, just- a Seinfeld Star Wars Stranger Things crossover <laughs> movie and make it seven hours long. And there and there's cameos <laughs> from literally every famous person you've ever from heard of in it. Jesus and Buddha and <laughs> the main characters are Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Morgan Freeman, Tom Hanks, uh Frankenstein together into one <laughs> one man. Yeah. Meryl Streep, Dude, Nicole Kidman. They, Netflix Gained 5 million subscribers in the first quarter of 2017. 5 million new subscribers in a quarter. 5 million new subscribers Yikes. in a quarter. Yikes. And had 3 billion in revenue first quarter. That means, so that's $50 million a month. Well, in, in new subscribers, right. plus their existing 100 whatever No, they yeah, have. but that's what I'm saying. They're, they've just added yeah. $50 million a month to yeah. their... No wonder they're spending $8 billion on content. Crazy. Um, uh, anything else before we get out of here? Thank you. Uh, thank you to Netflix for giving us another season of Stranger Things and uh, hopefully another one after that. Uh, as we mentioned, we haven't seen it yet, but we hope you guys have a really fun day slash night slash whenever you wants, watch it. If anybody wants to uh, watch it on Friday and uh, drink every time L kills somebody with me, we'll see if we're dead by Saturday morning. 
at what if pod if you want to hit us up and tell us you're down otherwise hop in the facebook group uh search on facebook for the what if podcast you can send us an email at hi at what if podcast.com and we'll probably put some super soldier videos slash the trailer to stranger things slash a bunch of links and weird shit on our website which is also on what if podcast.com and if you're listening to this on friday or anytime in the future we put up uh, our newest Patreon episode about the Boynich manuscript. Boynich. That was a fun uh, one, man. We had a good time talking about that. If you want to kick us five bucks a month, you will get an extra ep- extra episode every Friday, full length. No commercials, none of that. You yep. just get us talking about weird shit for an hour every Friday. Yep, just like this one, but, uh, but over there on the Patreon. Um, now there is... I think there's three full-length episodes plus like six or seven other pieces of content that are all exclusive to our Patreon on there. We're dumping seven billion into new content for next year, (laughs) so be on the lookout for that. We're going to have the littest Patreon in the world. Our revenue is up to about 150 bucks a month, so you know we can basically do whatever we want at this point. Yep. Issa Rae is going to like narrate our lives on our our Patreon. Hans Zimmer is scoring every episode. (laughs) It's going to be expensive. All right. See y'all. Love y'all. See you next week. We'll be back next week with another episode of the What If Podcast. Learn more at www.whatifpodcast.com.